I like to start with having my guests introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? I'm Milan. I am a digital product and brand designer is the latest title I like to call myself. My pronouns are she and her. And currently I'm freelancing. Uh, Previously, I've only been freelancing for two months. And previously I was design lead at Super High. A bit about my previous roles, I worked at a design agency for a few years in Brooklyn. And before that, I was working with a small agency in Santiago, Chile, um, as well as working with a lot of startups at Startup Chile, an incubator there. Um, So I've been kind of thrown into the startup scene since the very beginnings of my career. And I am very passionate about working with startups. Um, But I'm also passionate about mindfulness and uh, mental health and wellness. So I, I think about those a lot as it pertains to my design practice too. Um, also, I live in Brooklyn, New York. Fantastic. That's a great, that was a great intro. And um, <laughs> just because I love it and want everyone to know about it, do you mind telling us a little bit about your side project? Oh yeah, of course. Uh, so I just, uh, I'm working on it currently. It's been in the works for over a year. It's called Type Party. And right now it's a Twitter account, but the goal uh, for launching, hopefully by end of year, is to uh, provide a resource for open source uh, and free type and and inspiration for it. So fonts in use is a huge inspiration and I want it, uh, as well as TypeWolf, and I want to focus on open source typefaces specifically. It started originally Uh, with students asking, you know, what typefaces should I use? And I don't have a budget of, you know, hundreds of dollars to spend on beautiful and, you know, well-crafted type, which I definitely recommend if you can't afford it. Uh, But I want to show that you don't need money to be a good designer. And I believe in, you know, accessibility and design. So that's the drive behind me wanting to highlight the open source type community. Um, And hopefully it will result in the spread of education around accessibility and open source type, because that's just something I really believe in. Um, And I don't see anyone doing it in the way that is websites or designs featuring open source type in a dedicated platform. So that's the goal. I love it. I'm a big fan of type party already. So I'm really excited to see what you do with it next. And it's great that you bring up accessibility and mental health within the first three minutes of this podcast. Would you talk a little <laughs> bit more about like why those things are interesting to you and sort of the the state of them today online? So I have had a very long mental health journey my entire 27 years of living. <laughs> um, but mostly, you know, in my adulthood, uh, when I went to college, I had a really hard time throughout my whole five years there. And I think that even back then, it wasn't that it was still stigmatized and still today it is. But I'm happy to see many more people talking publicly and openly on it. Um, Myself, I've had, you know, depression, anxiety, and it's affected my my studies and my jobs. Um, And it's something that I still struggle with, but I've learned to overcome in the present day. So I really have, uh, and as well as I could get into it, uh, 
another time, but uh, pub, like the mental health support or resources in the U.S. and the whole entire mental health industry, finding a therapist, going through, you know, uh, insurance and prescriptions. It's I've done it all. And it's frustrating. I, I think that that it's not easy for people who are struggling, who, you know, actually need it to be easier to find. Uh, they're the people that need it most, yet it's very difficult. So yeah, when it comes to mental health, that's an industry that I believe design can transform and continue improving, especially healthcare in the U.S. So that's that. And then on the other hand, accessibility, I could go on about that as well. I think the bottom line is that we're doing great work in design and tech, uh, but obviously it's kind of like retroactively making up for things that we haven't been doing. So now uh, I'm really glad that it's become almost trendy. I don't I don't want to call it trendy. I hope that they're lasting, you know, established practices and beliefs. But I really do think that it's something that every designer needs to include in their design practice from the very beginning. I didn't take an accessibility and design class in school. And why not? You know, that, that should have been one of the foundation courses. And thinking about the experiences that we may not have in our daily lives that other people have that affects their entire, you know, existence every day, their daily life. So that those two things, I think, go a bit hand in hand because accessibility is not about just are you using enough contrast in your designs? It's thinking about those with a different experience than you and seeking out exposure to those experiences. There wasn't an accessibility course at my university either. And I do think that that is a fundamental building block for designers, especially in an academic setting. But even if you're just self-taught, I think it's a fundamental. So I agree with you that there, there should be something. And I also think that you were very generous in describing the U.S. healthcare system as just frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I kept it brief. <laughs> and then you mentioned that you just started freelancing, uh, what, two months ago. Uh, talk about what that's been like so far. I left, you know, my previous position at Super High at the end of September. And currently, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do next. So it was kind of a, you know, on on the spot decision. Not not really. I was just kind of like, well, I need money. <laughs> so I guess I'll try getting a couple of freelance gigs. And my dream is to, I hate this term, forgive me for saying it out loud. I, did, I wanted to be a digital nomad. <laughs> I wanted to be a location independent designer that travels. That's uh, so better. yeah, exactly. Um, so because I've been working remotely for the over the past two years, I really do believe in like the opportunity that not just designers, but you know, many roles now have to be location independent and the opportunities that that creates. So I think that freelancing just made sense as a next step. Uh, I'm a little bit hesitant to jump into a full-time role, uh, mostly because if it were a full-time role, I think it would have to be remote. Two years has changed me. I, I don't know about the office life anymore. <laughs> and I actually love working from home. As much as people say it's lonely or you know isolated, I love sitting on my couch with all my plants every day and being cozy. <laughs> so... Yeah, freelancing. And in terms of the the uh, the roles or the gigs I've been getting, I've been 
you know, talking to people since week one of October and constantly reaching out. Um, I haven't announced publicly that I'm freelancing yet because I want to create a portfolio first. (laughs) So, you know, basic things. But I have still been, you know, reaching out to a lot of people and talking and going to events and conferences and connecting with people in person and then following up online. So I think that's something I knew from the very beginning is that you can't just sit there and, you know, expect to be lucky. I think you actually have to create that luck by seeking out opportunities and taking them. And I, I have been lucky, though. I feel I've been lucky to have some opportunities that came from being active in the online design tech community. So that's one piece of advice we can get into later. But I feel like surprised as much as people, you know, warns me about the hustle and grind and, you know, the lack of money. And it's only been two months. So, you know, knock on wood. But I've gotten a contract that I've been working on that could turn into longer term work that has been really awesome to work on. And I I can't talk about it publicly yet, (laughs) but I do feel that I feel optimistic about freelancing and who knows, maybe, maybe I'll end up in an office in the future, but maybe unlikely. Well, I want to say congratulations because I also made a switch from a full-time job for one company to freelance this year. And I know that the transition can be bumpy as even for the most experienced designers like yourself. So I think it's great that you were able to do that and start getting contracts and, and discovering work that you want to be doing that without even having to announce that you were freelancing. So that's awesome. I do want to go back a little bit because there aren't a ton of people talking about remote work the way that you are, which I really like. What has it been like to work remotely for over two years now? And, and maybe what advice do you have for people that want to do that as well? Um, I have a lot of thoughts about it because uh, when I started, I was coming from an agency. I was so exhausted with, you know, the eight plus hour workday. And the fact that you sit there for the whole day in the same place every day and what like the work you actually get done could be in four hours, you know, or less. And so I think that I'm not advocating working less, but I think that flexibility fosters, you know, a better personal life and work-life balance and uh, for mental health, taking care of yourself. It's been indispensable for me. The idea that, you know, you can be a little more flexible with when you start or if you have a doctor's appointment. I have doctor's appointments often because I'm a hypochondriac. (laughs) So just having those, you know, the flexibility is super key, as well as being able to work with people all over the world. And that's something I recommend when you're working remotely is still connecting with your team in person if possible. So, you know, because you can work anywhere, why not spend a week where a coworker is and get to know each other a little bit? Because that's something day to day that I didn't really feel that I did enough is just talk about life and what they're up to. Um, You have to create almost artificially that water cooler talk or just like when you come in in the morning and you chit chat. Creating those relationships on a personal basis, I think is so important because, you know, you can get lost in the grind of talking about projects and, you know, things you need to be doing every day. Having that personal relationship actually creates 
better working relationships, which may seem obvious. But I think that, you know, if you, if possible, having in-person uh, work retreats or any way to connect with your teammates on a personal level, I realize the importance of that. Um, I was working with people for, you know, a year or more without ever uh, knowing what they look like, uh, not knowing enough about what they do, their personal lives, and unless they share it uh, voluntarily. So that's important. Another thing I've learned about remote working is um, I used to really preach about it in the beginning. I would say, this is amazing. You can hire the best people in the world. Um, why does anyone, you know, chain themselves to a location? That just seems silly. Uh, but there are a lot of benefits to working in person. I mean, related to what I just spoke about, you know, five seconds ago, to also the collaboration and brainstorming that happens. It's, you know, when you're not working in a design program or coding, uh, all of those other opportunities to get together in the same room and, you know, plan strategies or approaches together and kickoffs. That's something I really missed and was made more difficult through remote working. So I have a much more realistic outlook on it now. It can be difficult and you need to really overcompensate by thinking about the opportunities you have in person to communicate and the ways you communicate and how to bring those into online and a digital environment. So I, I do recommend remote working uh, still. And they, you know, people say, oh, you need to be excellent at time management and excellent communicator and you need to have like an intense work ethic. So you're always, you know, like managing your time. And after two years, I still, I had a, you know, a schedule and a workflow, but I was constantly tweaking it and optimizing it and seeing, you know, where I worked best. I actually had the opportunity to work in an office in New York with a handful of the team, but I was working daily with uh, the two, the other two designers in Toronto and Portugal. So you have to plan ahead because Portugal is, you know, five hours ahead. London's five hours ahead. Stockholm is six. You kind of have to account for people's time. Oftentimes, Andre in Portugal would stay on later, even though he started at 9 a.m., just to be able to communicate with us. It's that important. And so as leading the design team, I would say, get off Slack right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, please leave. <laughs> like, do not stay on to work with us. Like, I will take notes. I will give you a, you know, TLDR tomorrow morning. But you have to encourage that, I think, because otherwise people, you know, they end up working because they think it's something that, helps the team or looks good on them. And I saw a tweet of yours, actually, that was like, managers, please leave at 5pm sharp, you know, and I wasn't good at that setting that example, I worked a little bit later sometimes, or even on weekends, that's terrible, like, do not do that. But yeah, I think creating a company culture in a remote environment, and taking care of your people, making sure they're okay, because you don't see them in person to you know, maybe they're going through a hard time and they're not going to share that on Slack. <laughs> you really have to be thoughtful about your coworkers and your teammates. So those are a few things I've learned. I can answer more, but I'll stop rambling now. You sound like you were a, a great design manager. So that's really fantastic to hear all that stuff. And I will ask you about it in just a couple <laughs> of minutes. 
just to get out of the way, some people love to talk about design tools. Do you have strongly held opinions about any of them? What do you use right now? I use Figma. Um, I love Figma. Uh, the only thing I don't like about Figma is like Figma etiquette. So uh, it's really nerve wracking when, you know, bosses are posted up in Figma, like looking at you working. I've actually created pers- like private design files that are duplicates. So just no one's looking at me. <laughs> but no, I love Figma. I think it's great. It's becoming more and more robust. I also pair it with uh, Illustrator because there are some things with like you know, drawing icons and vectors that you just can't do uh, easily in Figma. Uh, But I love it. And I also use uh, Notion. That's one of my favorite note-taking tools. Biggest advice I have for those starting off, you know, in design or freelancing is to take notes. Like a trick I tell people about freelancing uh, is to either use Google Docs, that works as well, but uh, Google Docs, Notion, you know, write down a few bullet points of an agenda that you want to cover for every like meeting or interaction, and then take notes during that and send them a summary and say, Hey, like, this is what we talked about. I want to make sure I'm not missing anything. Can you look over it? And getting things in writing allows you to refer back to something in case they change their mind, like 180 and say, you know, I didn't say that or whatever. So you don't, you don't tell the client that, but you actually have a written record to refer back to, which could save your ass big time in the future. So yeah, Notion, Google Docs I use, and sometimes Photoshop, you know, when I'm editing photos, it's more specific Lightroom Photoshop. I still think that there's the need for the, for the creative cloud, uh, the creative suite along with Figma. But Figma, the Figma mirror and like sending simple prototypes, I think is amazing. So those are my strongly held opinions. (laughs) I love that you took the question I have about design tools and turned it into advice for young designers. That was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got to think about how you use those tools as well. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and uh, because you're remote, can I also ask you what kind of tools you like to use for being a remote person other than Notion and Figma? Yeah, so there is this app that I use. Um, I have to think about the name. Figure it out. It's a Google Chrome uh, extension that allows you to have many different time zones on your, uh, like when you open a new tab, and it's like really nice to look at. Uh, So keeping track of other people's times and being mindful of that, that's like a simple tool that is very useful. Um, There are... A couple more. I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, obviously Slack. Duh. <laughs> That's like the biggest one to communicate. So when we were, you know, when we're at Super High or any any time when I'm working remotely, I use Slack um, and Google Hangouts. You know, all of our calls were in Google Hangouts. All of our team calls. That's an indispensable tool. And for scheduling calls, I mean. We're still doing it pretty organically. I still do it through Google Calendar, but I've seen tools like uh, Calendly, which seem really great for as you grow, like having people book time with you. Booking meetings and people's time and the etiquette around that while working remotely is interesting. Depends on your company culture. So sometimes you check in with someone before you put a call on the calendar or sometimes you just do it. So I think that's very interesting to just consider that. I always check in advance because you don't, 
Uh, even though I think it's important to see other people's calendars in Google Cal. So sharing those calendars amongst your team is very helpful as well. You already kind of gave advice for starting designers, but I think because you've been in a role where you've done that day in and day out as part of your job for such a long time, what other advice do you have for people just getting into design? I can give a little bit of context as well, why I'm qualified to say this, these things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, at, when I joined Super High, like one of the best parts of it, which actually it, it was a dream job for me because uh, we had an online community from the get-go. It was people that were excited to be part of the community and excited to participate. And it was people from all over the world, right? So I was talking to students every day and staying connected with them. And they had a lot of questions for us uh, around code. Uh, but when we when we launched the two design courses that I taught and the design team worked on really hard on, especially the visual design course, we had a lot of questions about portfolios and visual design and confidence was a huge thing that we learned. Even designers that are doing great work and have been in the industry for a while lack confidence in their, their selves and their work. So in the beginning, I would say if you're just starting out, explore different things. I've also, you know, given guest lectures at design schools in New York. And I think that when I graduated, I was so concerned about my first job and what I was going to do. Like, did I want to be a UX designer or a visual designer? Product design wasn't a thing back then. <laughs> I'm not that old either. <laughs> I'm 27. I think it's okay to just not know and to just do something. Just do something and figure out if it sticks and if you like it. And get feedback on your work, like giving and receiving design feedback is something that I think I've, I won't say perfected because I don't believe in perfect, but I've really feel that uh, I've given enough feedback now that feel I've seen the same patterns and you just want to be uh, kind, uh, provide context if you're asking for feedback, just give a little bit of context and focus on the work. So when you're giving or receiving feedback, you want to talk about why the design is working or not working or could be improved. You don't want to talk about like, you know, anything too personal. You want to focus on the design. So my advice, my overall advice for early designers is to explore your passions and, you know, seek feedback on everything. And it's also a way to connect with other designers. When it comes to exploring your passions, I strongly believe in this in the power of side projects because I've actually gotten a lot of opportunities through Type Party. Even speaking events, people were like, do you want to talk about this? And it's like not even launched yet, you know? So it's just a Twitter account. I've had people emailing me to be my intern. And I'm like, wow, That's super flattering. But I also, it's just me behind my keyboard tweeting. <laughs> I was like, you can definitely help, you know, in the future as it becomes a thing. Like, I would love to get other people involved. But yeah, I think side projects are super important. And actually, when I was hiring, the people that whose applications were strongest were not just working, they were exploring their passions and creating things. Fantastic advice. And it's really exciting to hear that you have people knocking on your door to become interns. I think that's such a cool, <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. And you, yeah, just like help me write some tweets or <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. I think it's like a testament to, 
you know, maybe that it's something that people are interested in. And I have it like just a landing page with a email newsletter. I've never sent out a newsletter yet. I hope, hopefully I will, but I was shocked that, you know, that many people care and follow me and sign up for this newsletter. So I'm excited to launch it. I think that I'm really excited to share it with the world. I'm excited for you to launch it too. And I feel like I led you into just talking about Type Party. Are there other side projects that you're working on as well? Right now, I'm interested in learning always. So I'm a lifelong learner. That's something I believe in that everyone should be um, and having a beginner's mind. And so, yeah, I'm super interested in type design. I know that's still type related, um, but I really want to take a type course at Cooper Union in New York. Yeah, Um, cool. (laughs) Yeah, they have a great program there. And so exploring type design, it's something that I did. I made a serif typeface in my senior year of college, but it was, you know, first attempt. (laughs) So I really want to create some, like my dream is to create some open source type for type party. And I really admire uh, open source type foundries like Velvetine or Collectivo. So yeah, beyond, beyond learning that, I want to learn, um, I always want to learn how to code better. And uh, I want to learn how to prototype a bit better. It's something that when you're working quick and dirty at a startup, you don't have time to create these like beautiful prototypes. But things like I don't see, I don't even know which one I would want to learn first between like principle or framer, probably framer. And the biggest one I want to learn is 3D. I think that is the future. When it comes to like Instagram filters, I really want to make one of those and learn how. Apparently it's not that difficult. So I have a lot of ideas. I just need to hone them and find find the time or create the time. Actually, for side projects, that's another thing. You can do anything, even if you are like, you have a full-time job and you're like, when am I going to do it? Just put, you know, an hour, 30 minutes aside, plan to work on it for 15 minutes max. And chances are you'll work on it longer, but some days, you know, there's less pressure. Just do it for 15 minutes and see what happens. I think that's really great advice for people just starting out to do lots of things on the side. And I think you're a great example listing all those different things that you're interested in of like, you don't have to be stuck in like a single thing. You can keep trying new things. You can be a lifelong learner and keep focusing on different areas that interest you without having to commit your whole career to it. So it's really nice that you like shared lots of different interests, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think people should explore those because you never know where it could lead. Definitely. Well, speaking of where it could lead, you're a, I would call you a very senior designer. You've been a design director and you're a freelancer. What advice do you have for designers in any of those positions? Ooh, that's a good question. For me, I've realized the importance of taking care of your people, being empathetic and mindful of how they're feeling is really appreciated but also essential into having a good work relationship I always say don't be nice like be kind so I'm I believe in brutal honesty um, I don't beat around the bush I don't want to uh, in previous roles I haven't spoken up when I felt you know uncomfortable or unhappy with something all the time and it's all honestly one of my only regrets of my career is 
not speaking up or advocating for myself. And it's something I do for others. This is the this is the advice I would have. Advocate for others. And that's one way of taking care of, you know, your people. Lift them up because people often don't shout their accomplishments out, especially women. And I think it's so important to advocate for yourself uh, because other people aren't as focused on you. They're focused on themselves. When you say, hey, these are my accomplishments and you keep track of them, people are like, wow, yeah. Um, and doing that for other people is really helpful. And it it creates a habit of how you can lift others up and how you can, you know, support them and then how you can do it for yourself. So I actually recommend keeping a, you know, Google Doc of every time you have a work accomplishment, write it down. And then when you're having a bad day, you can look over it and see like, wow, I've done all of this stuff. And you can remember how you felt when you accomplished those things. So that's something I try to do is really support others, um, you know, tweet about them or tell them personally, like, wow, I'm really impressed. Uh, you're doing amazing work. Good job. It's, it's great advice. Now, our industry is great. There's there's tons of positive in the design industry, but there's also some negative. There's misogyny and racism and xenophobia and various types of queer phobia and other types of hate in our industry. How do you sort of reckon with that? Oof, yeah, this is heavy, uh, ser- but serious but important stuff. I think exposing yourself to the perspectives of others is super important. Like there's this like app that you can enter your Twitter handle in and it'll show you how many men versus women you follow. And it's things like that, that uh, you want to make sure that you're not following people that think like you and, you know, are in the same circle or bubble as you. You want to step out of that And I I think the only way to grow as a society is to interact with each other, communicate and learn. I'm really, as important as it is, I don't believe in like shaming or calling out as much. Uh, That's not my approach personally. I think just having a conversation like, hey, this is how I feel. Um, I'm also like a, a woman of color in tech. And I think that I haven't experienced like severe injustices, luckily, but I have experienced, you know, people that don't, um, you know, in my, in previous roles, like I've talked to my coworkers and my male coworkers and we're doing the same role. They were getting paid 10K more than me. And I I think like that is something that is happening all the time. I actually believe one, you know, radical honesty. I believe in asking people about their salaries and salary transparency. That's a small thing that people can do to fight the gender wage gap is share their salaries, even if it's anonymously. Yeah, Uh, I think there's a lot of great communities that are lifting people up, like Ladies Get Paid is one that helps uh, women you know, succeed and thrive at work and financially. And as well as highlighting um, like designers that are in underrepresented communities. So if your company like offer scholarships, invite, you know, diversity into your company and don't just use it as a buzzword. Like we want to be diverse and inclusive. Like so many people jumped on that bandwagon and they don't practice what they preach Um, or like, you know, everyone there 
doesn't like practice that on a daily basis. Uh, it ties back into accessibility, making sure that your company culture is is accessible um, and that is, you know, what leads to inclusivity. You know, an interesting uh, thing that I learned while uh, creating the curriculum for the visual design course at Super High is I gave a little bit on um, the, TL the TLDR design history, um, all the interesting stuff that you need to know, none of the boring stuff, <laughs> no essays required. But I was trying to find um, underrepresented designers in history, like black designers or designers of color. And it was near impossible. I couldn't find, you know, extensive coverage on black designers. It was, you know, you look at the greats that uh, created, quote, unquote, uh, the design industry, um, and they're all white. <laughs> so I think that, and I even asked on Twitter, I said, hey, everyone does, do you have, you know, like older designers or like, you know, historically renowned designers of color that you admire, or follow, or like have researched and almost everyone was like, no, it's a problem. <laughs> so I want to change that. I, I think that, you know, lifting underrepresented communities up so we create the history uh, when, you know, future generations of designers look back. I hope that they see a, a ton of, of different types of people um, and people that they can identify with. Well, I think that's tragic because as we probably all know that that's not the case, that there weren't people of color and women at the forefront of our industry. I have to imagine that they were probably the larger part of it. And that's just sort of how white male patriarchal history rewrites what actually happened. Yeah, they, you know, choose the story and the people that get included at that story and that is, it is, it's super unfortunate, um, but hopefully that will change. Who is one person that the listeners should know about? I can give you two. <laughs> so I spoke at a design conference in Birmingham earlier this year, in Birmingham, UK, not Alabama. Um, and there was one speaker that I really admire. His name is Wes O'Hare and he leads design at Dropbox. Uh, he also created the directory blacks who design with an amazing team of designers. So you should follow them all. That was really needed. Another uh, designer coder, you know, amazing person is Jules Forrest. She created the directory women who design. And I think that both of those initiatives are really important. That's a way of bringing people to the service, underrepresented folks. And when people are hiring you know, they practice inclusivity, but they don't specifically, and you know, you don't want to like single out people and make it, you know, an issue for hiring or whatever. But I think that like, it's easy to stick to our circles and who we know and who, who we recommend, but reaching out to someone that you would not normally hire, but that is exposed through directories like this is super important. So I love the work that they're both doing. I love the work that they're both doing, too. I'm a big fan of both of them. So I will put links in the show notes for the listeners to, to follow them on Twitter and, and check out their projects. 
Um, I believe that everyone should get paid for their time. So on this show, we share any profits that we'll ever get from future advertising. We don't have advertising or sponsorship currently, but we're looking. The sell of uh, apparel and swag, which you can click in the show notes. And uh, other ways, we want to share all of that money and profits from the show with our guests, including yourself. But uh, other than that, are there ways that the listeners can support you? Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for offering that. (laughs) That's so that's so great. Yeah, I think right now I don't have any things that generate revenue yet. Maybe Type Party eventually could have ways to support the the efforts, but I think just following Type Party would be amazing. And, you know, I, I think that like freelancers, uh, the community is strong. So if you don't have if you have extra work, you can always hit me up. <laughs> but yeah, I think just following Type Party is something I'm passionate about and like I want to spread the word as much as possible before launching. So that would be incredible. Well, I'll definitely put Type Party in the show notes. But uh, how can people get a hold of you if they want to hire you for uh, some freelancing projects? Uh, right. So Twitter is actually a great one. Um, I've gotten a few opportunities in the DMs, got invited to some events and things like that. I think surprisingly, it's a great, a great platform. And I know that people hate on design Twitter all the time, but Twitter has been really useful for me for connecting with other people that I might not otherwise connect with. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. It's more personal. And my email, it's milanmoffitt at gmail.com. We'll include all those in the show notes. Don't you just love it when clients slide into your DMs? Yes. Yeah, it's great. It's a, you know, and also just like kicks off the convo. Emails, you know, better for continuing it, but I'm surprised at how useful Twitter's been. Yeah, me too. Well, Milan, thanks so much for being on on Bezier's show. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience or advice that you really think is is important for everybody or anything else that you'd like to say before we wrap up? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. I I would like to extend the invite to reach out to me if you have questions about your career or you want design feedback. I've given, you know, hundreds of people career feedback on their portfolio resume, um, what they should do next. And I think mentorship is something everyone needs, but people don't know how to get. So I'm, yeah, like my door is always open. If you want to reach out and talk, I I love to have coffee. I live in New York, but we could also have uh, remote coffee chats too. So that's something I encourage people to do if you ever need someone to talk to. You know, I've always been impressed with how open you are to dedicating your time to people and and helping them. And it's awesome to see you continue to do that. Yeah, it's something that was one of my favorite parts of working at Super High is just like, you know, connecting with people. And actually, we helped so many students get jobs. And that was one of the most rewarding things is seeing them actually grow in their careers, you know, and making a difference. So I hope that other designers you know, also follow suit and share what they've learned because that's that's one of the ways that we can help each other, lift each other up and grow. That's a great way to end the show. Thank you so much again, Milan, for being on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.